Good morning. Some of you may, may know this about me, maybe not, but about, mm, I think it was 12 years ago, I couldn't really see very well at all. I used to wear very thick glasses or contacts, and if I took them off, I couldn't see, uh, I probably couldn't recognize Jane if I didn't have my glasses on uh, 12 years ago. I couldn't, I couldn't see right in front of my hand in front of my face pretty much. I couldn't read my alarm clock next to my bed. And then I went and I decided to have LASIK eye surgery. If you know what that is, it's where they take a laser and they reshape your eye and then suddenly you can see. And so I went from not being able to see anything without my glasses to two days after that, I went back to the doctor and it was 2020. Radical change, miracle of, of science that, that that could happen, a wonderful thing. And I, I was thinking about that, reflecting on that a little bit, the difference between the two uh, just this past week as I was thinking about what we're going to look at in the book of Joshua today. And, and what kept coming to mind was the difference between our view, the way we see things, and the way God sees things. In a lot of ways, the way that, that comparison that I was thinking of is the way that I saw before I had my LASIK surgery and how I saw uh, after, without my glasses, without any help. A lot of times the way we see things are uh, spiritually are kind of fuzzy or they're kind of, we don't see everything quite the way it is. And, and then God's view of everything is perfect. And he sees everything perfectly and totally. And so this morning, that's what we're going to be looking at. That's a big idea I want us to think about when we look at the end of Joshua chapter 5 and the beginning of Joshua chapter 6. And the way we're going to look at it is our view versus God's view. And so we're going to look at uh, verses 13 of chapter 5 through verse 5 of chapter 6 of Joshua. Uh, You've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Number six, that's where we are in our big overview series. It's also printed on the back of your bulletin for you if you want to follow along in the same uh, uh, translation that I'll be reading from, which is the ESV. But let me just catch you up where we are in our series just real quickly before we get to it. I'm going to do the real quick about two-minute version this morning. But what we've been saying is that God uh, creates us to be all about him. We're made to glorify him, to honor him, to be in relationship with him. Adam and Eve, the first man, they turn their back on him. And in doing so, they uh, bring a curse on creation. It's, it's in disarray and messed up. And God immediately makes a promise that he's going to fix it. And then all through the Old Testament, we see that promise unfolding. And he first makes that promise in Genesis 3. And then it picks up in Genesis 12 with one man named Abraham. And it's a four-part promise. And we've talked about this a bunch But with Abraham, he tells him, I'm going to give you a great number of descendants. I'm going to give you a land. And then I'm going to establish you into a nation all through your descendants. And then I'm going to bless the world through your seed. And that ultimate blessing being Jesus Christ. And so what we see is the unfolding of that four-part promise all the way through the Old Testament. And so we've been following that in our overview. And so as we get to Joshua, what's happened is God has blessed Abraham's descendants to where they've grown to millions. So God has blessed him with the great number of descendants that he says right there is the first part of the promise. And he's taken those people out and he rescues them from Egypt at the end of Genesis. And then in Exodus, he takes them out and he gives them how to worship him and how to come to him. And he starts to establish them as a nation, a holy nation, a set apart nation that will be different, that God will use to show the world what he's like. And so that started to happen, but it's not fully there yet. They're not fully the nation yet. But the second part of the promise is the land. And that's where we are in Joshua. 
and Joshua, they're going to take the land. That's what's going to happen. They're going to take the land, and that part of the promise is coming to fruition. And we see that in the book of Joshua. Actually, in Joshua chapter 21, it says, Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it, and they settled there. And so that's where we're going in the book of Joshua, the second part of the promise, that he's giving them this land. And Joshua knows this. He's heard this promise all throughout Moses told them last week, if you were here with us in Deuteronomy, Moses recapped everything. The people know this. They know this is part of the promise. They know this is where they're heading. But oftentimes, even when we know the end, we know what God's saying. We know where we're going. It's very hard when you're in the middle of it. It's the same thing for us. We can take our Bibles and we can flip back to the back and you can read in Thessalonians and you can read in Matthew and you can read in Revelation and you can see where this ends. What the Bible says where it ends is Jesus is going to return and he's going to remake all things and all things will be new. And those that are in Christ will dwell with him forever and everything will be perfect. And as believers, we can know that. But that doesn't uh, erase the fact that the day to day can still be very hard. What's around us and what's right in front of us and what's surrounding us. And oftentimes our view gets distorted, even though we know that. Joshua's faced with that in our passage this morning. He knows what's going to happen. He knows how God's moving, but there's still a lot of things right in front of him that can throw you off. And so this morning, I want us to look at it that way and think about it that way, the way our view is and the way God's view is. And so instead of a lot of times, I like to do three questions and we ask questions and we go through and we let the text answer. Today, we're going to do more of a comparison, our view versus God's view. And then we're going to get to the end and and, and then talk a little bit about how do we go from our view to God's view? How do we rest in God's view and stay there? Because if you didn't know, just God's view is way better. It's much, much better. We would rather be there. So that's kind of what we're looking at. That's where we're going. So let's read today uh, together. Joshua uh, chapter five, verse 13 through six, five. And then we'll talk about uh, that and look at that in it. As we get there, just so you know, since we hit from Deuteronomy to Joshua, what's happened in Joshua Joshua is now taken over for Moses. He's now the leader of Israel. Moses has passed away. Joshua steps in. He's now the leader. He's taking them into the promised land, this land that God's promised. And there, uh, chapter 1 talks about Joshua being the leader, and then 2 and 3, they're going into the land, and then God stops the Jordan River, and they, they cross miraculously in, and all these things are happening and setting up perfectly for this taking of the land. And when we get to chapter 5 here, they're right on the eve of of attacking the first city of the land in Jericho, right in the middle. And so that's where we are. That's just setting the scene for you. So let's read those verses together. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. And now I have come. Joshua fell on his face On the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all of the men of war going around the city once thus shall you do for six days seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark and on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times and the priests shall blow their trumpets 
And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people will shout with a great shout and the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people shall go up everyone straight before him. Let's pray and then we're going to look at that uh, passage together. Lord, we thank you for your word. As we do each week, we just confess that we need you in this place. We need your spirit to come and open our hearts to see this, to apply it for us. Uh, We do just ask this morning, we want to see it from your view. We want to see it clearly the way you see things. And we ask that your spirit would come and open our eyes for that to be the case. We pray that everything that's said this morning would be in accord with your word and would be pleasing in your sight. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. All right. So as we begin, let's think about it the two ways I said. First, our view first and then God's view. And so our view first, and I want us to think about this the way often our view, the way we go about life, the way we're shaped in what we do. And oftentimes our view is shaped more, more often than not than by what's happening immediately in front of us. What's going on in our life, maybe our health, maybe our relationships, maybe our job, our family, whatever's going on right in front of us oftentimes ends up shaping the way we go about our life and what's happening. If things are going really well, your job's going well, the family's healthy, things are good. We go, oh, God is great. He is so good. Look at what he's doing. Look at how he's blessing us. And we get real. Sometimes the opposite is true. Things get hard and we get frustrated. We say, where is God? What's happening? What's going on? And what happens is we get tossed to and fro a lot of times by our emotions of what's happening right in front of us. And our view ends up becoming so just on what's right here. And it's understanding that that happens. We do that because those are the things we're dealing with. We're coming in contact every day. But spiritually, what we've been saying all the way through this series, the reason we do that, the reason we get so tossed to and fro by what's happening right in front of us, It's because instead of being completely and totally focused on God and who he is the way we were made, we've exchanged that truth to be somewhat self-centered. We've decided to be, I'll be the center of my life and everything that goes on. That's what sin is. We've talked about that a bunch. Sin is ignoring God and the world that he created. So when we ignore God, we make it all about us. And we let all our things press in on us and they throw us all around and our emotions are up and down based on what's happening right in front of us. And that's born out of a sinful heart that's ignoring God, that's putting him secondary to what's going on. Now, let me just say there's there's part of that that's good. And I'm not saying that caring for your family or what's happening in your life, you shouldn't care for those things. You should. But the way we should be looking at it is God first and then those things. But oftentimes what happens is that gets flipped. God gets pushed to the background and we get so in on what's happening, what's going on right in front of our face instead instead of being Uh, governed by his word and what he tells us we get all these things going on and it kind of runs interference and we get we get off and so what happens is we get overwhelmed by what's going on right in front of us and that ends up shaping our view a lot of times what's right here in our face and so when we look at joshua here this morning he has that opportunity to fall prey to that he knows god's promises he knows what he's supposed to be doing and as far as we know joshua is very faithful and i'm not even saying that joshua is doubting But you could see how he could. We don't know. It doesn't tell us. But what it does tell us, if you look at 513, just right there at the beginning, it says, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And then he sees this man. And we'll we'll get to the man in a minute. But I want us just to think about what Joshua is doing there and what he's thinking about and what he's looking at. And then verse one of chapter six basically tells us it says, now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. 
None went out and none came in. And so what we have is God's told them, I'm giving you this land. Joshua, you're the commander. You're in charge. I'm giving you the land. You're going to go in and you're going to take it as I've told you, as I've delivered it into your hands. But that doesn't mean Joshua still doesn't have to go to work. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have to do some things. And so what we see in chapter five is he goes out and he's looking over the city and he's thinking about his battle plan and what are we going to do and what he sees on the surface. If he's just governed by what's immediately in front of him is that Jericho is a fortified city with giant walls all the way around it. And it's completely shut up because they know what God's been doing with Israel and they're worried. We learned that earlier in chapter two, when Rahab and the spies, if you go back and read that, she says, everybody's really nervous about you guys being here. And so from an earthly perspective, from a military perspective, Joshua is looking at this and going, this is tough. This is a fortified city that's all together and they've got lots of soldiers and all these things. How in the world are we going to do this? And so he has that temptation of the immediate context just to get frustrated to go, what in the world's going on here? How, how are we going to do this? Maybe playing in the back of Joshua's mind, if you remember 40 years prior when God had promised the land to him, they went in and they sent out 12 spies. Ten came back and said, we can't do this because they were looking at just what was right in front of their faces. And there were two that said they could. It was Joshua and Caleb. And so Joshua was all gung-ho. Let's do this. God will deliver it. But it's a little different now when Joshua's in charge. Right? He's the military leader. And I'm not saying... He's he's uh, questioning God, but it's a little different when everybody's looking to you to say, OK, how are we going to do that? And so you've got this this uh, Joshua standing there overlooking the city with some of these things possibly running through his mind and what's happening. And so he could become quickly become frustrated, just like we do oftentimes with what's right in front of us. We, be, we get frustrated and we get down and we go, how is this going to work? How is God going to work in this situation? And so. That's the first way oftentimes we're shaped and it's not the way we should be shaped, but that's the reality of, of for a lot of us. We let the things that are right in front of us uh, shape the way we think about it, shape our view, the way we see the world. But then the Bible tells us that God talks to us in other ways. He tries to pull us out of this. And I was thinking about this uh, this week. Uh, it's why we read um, Psalms 19 right at the beginning. The Bible tells us God declares to us who he is in two ways, one through his word, but the other through his general revelation, through, through creation. Right. Psalms 19 says that what we just read a minute ago, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge just by the earth doing what God designed it to do, spinning and going through space and in uh, orbiting around the sun, God's revealing to us his majesty and his glory and his beauty and how huge and wonderful and majestic he is. And so oftentimes I think about it and I thought about this the other day. I was walking here on Grant Road. If you've ever gone back there, it's beautiful back there. There's pastures and trees and all this stuff. And I was walking, going over the sermon and I got to this part and I stopped and I looked up and there it is all around me. The wind's blowing and the sun's shining and there's the trees and there's cows and there's fields and there's hills and all these things. And so oftentimes we walk along with our head buried. All this stuff is pressing in. Look what's going on. How is how's this going to work out? I don't know. And I'm, I'm all anxious and I'm whatever. And there it is all around us. God's creation just screaming at us. Do you see how big I am? Do you see how majestic I am? Do you see what I've made by my word? 
or what the Bible tells us he upholds by the very power of his word. And it's all around us. And so often our view gets so limited and so caught in the moment that we miss what's all around us. Uh, Romans says the same thing in chapter one. It says his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So Paul says we see the beauty of who God is by what is made and what's around us. And so God's there pulling us, trying to pull us out of our own self-centeredness, just even with creation. But more importantly than that, he didn't just give us creation. Although we see all these things through that, he gave us his word. And that's the way our view should be shaped. That's what we talked about last week in Deuteronomy. Moses is so clear to say, hey, do not forget what God's done. And he recaps all those things and he goes on and on and he tells them. And that happens and then Moses dies and then Joshua takes over and then Joshua comes and it's his commissioning. And guess how Joshua starts? Chapter one, don't let... The law depart from your mouth. You meditate on it day and night. You be all about this. You be shaped by what my word says, not what's immediately in front of you. And so we see that all the way through scripture. And that's the way we're supposed to be shaped. That's the way our view is supposed to be. But the hard part is oftentimes when things press in on us, we let them stand over and above God's word. We let his word get pushed off to the side and what's immediately happening in front of us takes precedent over it. Or you think about it, the things that are right here in your face and God's words laying over there and it gets in the way. And so we go, oh, how will this work out? How can this possibly be? And we get really anxious and we get frustrated. And then there's God's word sitting over there where Jesus says, don't be anxious about anything. Look at the birds in the tree. I take care of them. How much more valuable are you? But we let our our circumstances stand over and above that. And we start to exchange the truth of God for a lie. And that's what happens. And oftentimes that's where our view ends up being. But the wonderful thing is God's word. He reveals so much to us And this passage today. I love this when we think about our view versus God's view. And we're going to move to God's view now because God shows us his view with uh, here in this passage with Joshua. He shows us his view and he kind of pulls back the curtain a little bit. Look at the second half of that first verse in 13. 13, it says, and Joshua's by Jericho and he lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, are you for us? Or are you for our adversaries? And he said, no. If you notice, that's not a yes or no question. And he says, no. Right. He says, I, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. And now I have come. Joshua fell on his face on the earth and worshiped him. What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So we start to see God's view in this. Here's Joshua looking over Jericho, thinking about how am I going to do this? What's going on? And he sees this man with a sword and he asks a very normal uh, question, giving the circumstances. Are you for us? Or are you against us? He's about to go to war. He's making his plan of how they're going to go attack the city. And there's a man with a sword. Perfectly normal thing to ask. Are you with us or against us? And he says, no. And so what we get is it says it's the commander of the Lord's army. And what he says is God is not waiting on the sidelines for what you're going to do. He's not going, OK, well, I'll, I'm hoping they win over here. I'm cheering for Joshua's team. 
what he shows us, God's view is he shows us is he's I'm sovereign and I'm in control here. And this battle and what's about to happen, I'm going to do. And that's why I've told you I'm giving you this land. It's not ultimately up to you. It's up to God and he's completely sovereign. And so he pulls back the curtain to show us that it's not all about Joshua and them and their men. It's God's doing and he's invited Joshua and Israel to be in on what he's doing. See, we like to make it, we're the center, right? Are you with us or against us? And he says, no, it doesn't work that way. God's moving and he's working and he's doing these things and he invites you in on it, not the other way around. And so what we get is we start to get God's view that he's completely sovereign over all this. But then the next thing that happens is really interesting. And I I don't know if you've ever thought this before, but he says, what should I? He falls on his face and starts to worship. And he says, what should I do? And he says, take off your shoes. Right? If you remember, that's the same thing that happens with Moses, the burning bush. Take off your shoes. Don't come any closer. Take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. And so the question becomes, does God just not like shoes? What's the deal with shoes? Right. Get them off. I don't want your shoes here. And it's and it starts to bring some questions up about what that means. Well, he doesn't want shoes because the ground is holy. So what does that mean exactly? Because I think sometimes we jump to holy means moral. So then if you go that route, then shoes are immoral and God doesn't like shoes. But that's not what's happening. That's that's not what what that means when we talk about what holy means. Holy simply means that it's set apart, that it's different. And so when we talk about God's holiness, which that's what we're talking about here, this is holy ground, don't come near, because it's God's here. So when we start to talk about that, what is God, why is God holy? We need to think about why God is set apart and why he's different. And this is important for us saying why his view is so more important and better and fuller than our view. See, to look at it this way and God's holiness and what it means, I heard a really good definition the other day from uh, Dr. Tim Keller, and I really liked the way he said it, but he said, his, uh, God's holiness, he is incomparably transcendent perfection. That there's no rivals and there's no inconsistencies. And so what he was saying is that God is, is completely perfect in all things. And when we, when we apply it to his view and the way he sees things versus the way we see things, what we get is God's view. Our view is uh, this is what's happening in my life and I'm, and I'm reading my Bible and I'm thinking about what's going on and I'm swayed by my emotions and all these things. And then there's God's view. He sees everything past, present and future perfectly and completely and totally at the same time. A little different. A little different from what I see and how I see it. God sees all of it perfectly. And so when we talk about God being holy or other than us, he's completely holy and other than us because his view is absolute perfection. And mine is often self-centered and messed up and, and getting off on things that don't really matter. And so we have this comparison. And so when you think about what that means to be holy, I want you to think about what it means for us. As well, because the Bible tells us, be holy for your the Lord's holy. He's holy, so you be holy. And it's like, well, wait a second. He's transcendent perfection. How do we do that? And it's not really talking that we're going to be perfect because he's per- we, we can't do that except through Christ. And so when we start to think about what it means to be holy, to be set apart for him, I want you to think about even what the Bible says about holiness. Right? In the Bible, it talks about uh, for example, the priest, Aaron's priest in Exodus, Aaron's clothes in Exodus, Aaron's the high priest. And they say, God tells them, I want you to make a special garment for him. And this garment will be holy to the Lord. 
And I want them to wear the special hat and that'll be holy to the Lord. And then they'll make plates and those will be holy to the Lord. So does that mean the plate will be morally perfect? No, it'll be set apart for specific use for God only. God will be the center of what it's used for and nothing else. And so we are to be holy in that we are to be set apart and centered on who God is and everything else falls to the, to the background. We're to be set apart, called out to be for his use. Right? That's why Jesus would say, uh, you're, all your relationships in your life should look like hate in comparison to your love for me. You're to be completely set apart to who I am. So when we talk about shoes, shoes aren't bad. They're common. That's, that's the difference. Holy is set apart, different. His shoes, Joshua's shoes were common. He was using them for every day, whatever. And now he comes into God's presence and he says, well, wait a second, take those off. Those are the shoes you use for everything else. I want you set apart, specific, special to me here, nothing else. And so when we think of that, when we get, we kind of can get caught up on the shoes or what that means. But that's what God's saying. I want you to be set apart to me. I want you to be all about me. I want you to revolve around me to be focused on who God is. Because remember, that's what we've been saying each week. That's the way we were made to be. We were made to be in that relationship with him being center and everything else being secondary. And so that's what, what we're getting at here that Joshua is starting to see. And so God pulls back this curtain and he's showing him uh, what this looks like from his viewpoint, from his perfect, holy other viewpoint. And his perfect, holy other viewpoint is that this is already taking this battle's already won. I'm here. I'm fighting this battle. I'm doing this and I'm inviting you to be part of it. And so that's uh, this beautiful picture of what happens here that God shows Joshua, graciously shows him on the eve before this huge battle and all the stuff that he's about to do and how God's going to use him. And he shows him. He pulls back the curtain and he lets him see. And so that moves us to the question, well, what about us? God often doesn't show us exactly like that. I don't know about you, but I haven't had I haven't left my house to come to the church. And there's a guy standing there with a sword. I haven't had that happen. But God does reveal to us and he does show us and he is showing us how he's working and what he's doing. And he gives us his view. And part of the ways we see it, and it's why uh, we're doing the series that we are, when we see the big picture of how God's moving and what he's doing and how he's working, we see the completeness of his plan. We see the beauty of it. We see the expansiveness of it. And we start to get his view. We start to catch glimpses of what he's doing and how he's always been working and how he's going to restore this creation. And he's still working and it's going to come to fruition. And so as we start to see that, we start to get that big picture. But there's something else bigger than just knowing the story happening. And it's the way that we move from our view to God's view. I kind of jokingly ask the question, have you ever seen the guy with the sword standing before you? Have you ever seen the commander of the Lord's army with his sword drawn? And it's no, I haven't. I haven't seen him with his sword drawn like that. But I do know him. I talk to him every day. When I read this book, I see him on every page of this book. I want to show you what I'm talking about. I want us to think about this together for just a second. And we're going to end there because this is how we move from our view to his view. There's angels all throughout Scripture, and there's these figures and these things that happen in the Old Testament. And sometimes it's an angel as the God's mouthpiece, and sometimes it's the angel of the Lord, and sometimes it's a little different. But I want to give you just a glimpse. When it's an angel, an angel comes, what happens? I'll give you an example. Revelation 19. 
John seeing a vision, the angel standing there with him. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. Right. That's how it ends, by the way. We go to a wonderful feast with Christ and his church and we're united forever. That's just exciting. I can't pass that by without saying that. But so that's that's where it ends. But so he says that. And then he said to me, these are the true words of God. And so John says, then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So when it's just an angel, he says, oh, wait a second. Do not bow down to me. Do not worship me. That's not how this goes. But then there's sometimes where it shows up a little differently. It's a little shadowy figure. And we go, what's going on in the Old Testament? We saw it with uh, the call of Moses, the burning bush. If you remember that story, it says in the burning bush. uh, I'll read to you real quickly from Exodus three. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning and yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush has not burned. And when the the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called to him out of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am. He said, do not come near. Take your sandals off for the place which you are standing is holy ground. There's the shoes again. Get rid of your shoes. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face and was afraid to look at God. So what are we getting at here? What am I saying when we say the commander of the Lord's army shows up and there he is with Joshua. And what do we see? Or when, when the commander or the angel of the Lord appears in the midst of the burning bush and then God is speaking to Moses. How is it that he can be on holy ground, Moses and Joshua and take their shoes off and be in God's presence and not be completely consumed by the glory of who God is. And the only answer is there's one mediator between God and man. It's the only way that we can approach him, and that's Jesus Christ. See, Jesus is alive and well in the Old Testament, just as he is in the New Testament. John 1 tells us that all things were made through Jesus, and without him nothing was made. Jesus has always existed. And so when God comes down and speaks, and there's these, this man that's there, that I'm there fighting for you. I'm doing this for you. It's pointing the head to Jesus. It's a pre-incarnate vision of Christ coming down and working in the Old Testament. And it's the only way we move from our view to God's view. It's the only way we're taken out of seeing it from a self-centered, it's all about me and what's going on. The only way that happens is when we see that it's Christ for us and nothing else. And that's what he's showing Joshua. You're not doing this. I'm doing this for you. That's what God's showing us. I came and I lived the perfect life that you couldn't live and died the death that you deserve so I could give it to you as a free gift. That's what Jesus says to us. And so the picture is when we talk about our view and the way we get so lost in our stuff and who we are and what's going on and how do we get pulled out of that, we get pulled out of that when God enters the story And he does it for us. And then he gives it to us for free in Christ and nothing else. That's the only way we ever move from our broken, sinful, messed up view to his perfect, holy, wonderful, expansive story. It's through Jesus. 
And I hope you're seeing as we go through this each and every week, it's so important that we don't miss this. Jesus is on every page of this book. He always was there. He was always doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. And so when we get frustrated and we get down and we get anxious and we get all those things, he's still there. And he's still going, I've got you. I'm pulling you right out of this. You look to me and you look what I do for you. When you mess up, it's not your works, it's my works. I give you my righteousness. It's not you, it's me. And so I just, I hope you're starting to see that. I hope we're starting to see together that all of this book, every page of it, all of it is pointing to the glory of Christ and what he's come to do for us and the way he restores us, the way he pulls us out and that he gives us God's view and not our view. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you that you are there every step of the way. There's nothing that's out of your control that you know exactly what's happening and how it will go and how you will do it. I pray that we would rest in that. I pray that as we open your word, as we meet together, as we encourage one another, that we would see that more and more fully, that we would be given over to see it completely from your view. We pray that your spirit would work in us, that you would show us the way you see things. We, we would see your plan over our brokenness, that that's what would, would guide us and move us. We thank you for all you do for us, and we pray it in Jesus' wonderful and precious name. Amen.